This week's Game of Thrones feedback show is sponsored by True Car. Now, when you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. A lot of times, though, that's not the case. People configure their cars online only to later find out that those cars are not available. What? With True Car, you get real pricing on the actual inventory, not just the pricing offered by True Car, pricing offered by the actual dealer, and not just any dealer, a True Car certified dealer. It's a carefully curated network of dealers. Committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. You won't get blindsided like Tyrion trying to send all the unsullied to Casterly Rock and there's nobody there. True Car is going to show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is and you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network and there's over 13,000 dealers nationwide. You'll work directly with a True Car Certified Dealer contact and True Car users are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with true car certified dealers and best of all true car users save an average of over three thousand dollars off of msrp so when you're ready to buy visit true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience some features are not available in all states Game of Thrones Season 7, Episode 3 is still over, but we're just getting started answering your feedback questions here on the Game of Thrones Feedback Show on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the two guys who snuck in through the sewer door into Casterly Rock so we can podcast here without Tywin knowing. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well. I don't like it here in the sewers, but if this is the way we got to go. <laughs> yeah. Look, it wasn't so bad when do. we got into Marine to podcast, but here in Casterly Rock, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, those Lannisters, they've got to they gotta check their pipes, as it were. There's just some, some nasty things flowing down here. Yeah. Thought there'd be gold here, but no, that uh, rumor has been disproven. <laughs> in the end, they did yes. not shit gold. No, they did not. All right. Anyway, Josh Wiggler, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you, Rob? Everything's good in your world? Everything's fine? Everything's dandy? Yeah, everything is nice. Uh, You and I had a very nice conversation with our friend uh, John Reed over on my reality TV uh, podcast on Rob as a podcast where we actually did a survivor season of Game of Thrones characters playing the uh, heroes versus healers versus hustlers. Josh, that was very fun. That was very fun. Uh, I believe that is our uh, that is now our third Survivor Game of Thrones season in the books. Uh, really, quite the franchise we're building out over there. Right. I'm really excited about that. Yes. Yeah, spectacular listening. If you happen to be both a Game of Thrones and Survivor fan, yeah, George R. R. Martin couldn't have scripted a more exciting season of Survivor. So that was very <laughs> fun yesterday. <laughs> Do you- do you think we'll reach seven seasons of Survivor Game of Thrones yes. before George R. R. Martin yes. finishes the books? Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think we'll finish ten before uh, he gets <laughs> to the next book. Okay. Oh, my God. Anyway, of course, uh, this is our feedback show, our third Game of Thrones podcast of the week. We've got a bunch of ravens and voice ravens from you guys, and we're going to be uh, getting into all of that here. Of course, uh, for next week, you can email the show, got at postshowrecaps.com, or go to postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail to leave us a message. All right, Josh. So a lot of different things uh, to discuss. Anything else that is uh, percolating in your 
beautiful Game of Thrones mind before we get into what the listeners had to say? No, I think that the listeners will guide us through uh, through everything going on here. It's been a busy Game of Thrones week over here at House Wiggler, but when is it not, Rob? It always is. Okay. All right. So what is the first thing that we're going to talk through here in the feedback show? Well, there's a little bit of confusion about something that happened uh, on Game of Thrones this week, the Queen's Justice and the fate of a certain character. So why don't we start there? This is from Dom Malpieti, uh, who writes and says, hey, guys, are we supposed to believe that Lady Elena is dead? Why would Jamie leave her there alive, especially after what she disclosed to him? She's admitted to using poison in the past. Why wouldn't she have an antidote handy or just throw up the poison or her maester would come by and help her out? So what do you think about this, Rob? We do not see Diana Riggs' character actually die. Is there any chance at all that we have not seen the last of the Queen of Thorns? No, she did. No, she she, did. She did. She did. Yeah. She did. (laughs) But were you surprised that Jamie didn't just like cut her head off at the moment when she mentioned the Joffrey thing? Were you surprised at how well composed that Jamie Lannister was? This is the Jamie Lannister of season seven. You know, if this was the Jamie of season one or even season two, I think that this would be a more vengeful man, somebody who is a little bit more arrogant and really, really into just like being like the worst Lannister he could possibly be. But he has been uh, he has been redeemed somewhat over the past few seasons, or at least he is more likable these days. He's more sympathetic towards people. He tries to negotiate things as peacefully as possible he could have been much worse to Edmure Tully than he actually was back in season six so I think that this is a guy who's a little bit more measured than before and I don't think that he's just like gonna behead an old woman I just don't think that that's the Jamie Lannister of today even in spite of what she is saying here I just don't think that he's got that in him I think that that would be one nightmare to add on to you know one too many nightmares to add on to a to a really long list of grievances and atrocities that he's committed in his past i don't know how many times do we have to see him along the course of the way here in this show just like uh get hit in the face with a pie and just have the reaction need salt (laughs) (laughs) i mean how many things you have to do to this guy i don't know i don't know it's on it's on its way it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's going to he's a break is coming. But I feel like that violent break wasn't going to happen towards the Queen of Thorns again. Like she's she's an older woman. She is already you know, she's losing high garden. She's being, you know, uh, as as open and honest as she possibly can here. And I think that Jamie's just he doesn't have that kind of murder in his heart, at least not right now. Can I ask you a question about the poison for Lady Olena? Do you feel like that Jamie got Cersei to sign off on that? Or do you think that he was freelancing? Uh, I don't see Jamie as a freelancer. Freelancer. Uh, yeah, freelance Lannister. I I think that you know he is uh he's pretty loyal to the Cersei cause, and I think that he's really carrying out her vision, and I think that he's trying to rein her in whenever possible. But I don't think that he would just. I feel like we would see that scene if that was the case, right? Like I think that we would see the scene where Cersei was saying, "All right, well, I just did something incredibly horrible to the Sand Snakes, and now this is what I want to do to the Tyrells. Can you please execute on that for me?" And then Jamie would be like, "Wow, you're a monster. I'm going to go over to High Garden. I'm just going." 
to painlessly poison Lady Elena to death. Like, I feel like you would have seen some version of that if he's just, like, completely striking out on his own. So I think he was able to convince Cersei, like, just let, let this lady have some dignity. Now, if he reported back uh, to Cersei and if he brought Lady Elena with him, if he chose in that moment, like, yeah, maybe I should bring you to Cersei for the Queen's justice. You know, that's when it could have gotten really gnarly. And that's when I think we could have gotten to the territory of what Jamie was describing as possibilities for Lady Olena. Uh, but I, I don't think that he would have just struck out on his own and, and did something like that. I just thought it was inconsistent based on what she says, where she stays up at night thinking of the different ways that she's going to kill her enemies. We saw her co- cook up this really creative idea to torture Hilarious Sand and the Sand Snakes. And then she went right back. She was like so uh, turned on by this. She went and found Jamie immediately. Then coming off of that, she's like, ah, whatever, you know, just uh, here's here's some poison for Lady Lena. Quick, painless, that's fine. One of my terrible enemies, but I've already wasted the good revenge on Hilaria Sand. So just whatever you think. Yeah, but I think at the same point, you know, it's one of the things about Cersei this season that maybe we weren't fully expecting. Certainly, she's off her rocker and she her casterly rocker. Like she's definitely in a place where she is uh, unhinged and is doling out really, really vicious, ruthless punishment. See the Sand Snakes for for further proof on that. And uh, by the way, that's the end of the Sand Snakes, as confirmed by Indira Varma, who plays Ilaria Sand. We're not seeing her on the show anymore. As yes. far as the show is concerned, that is the death of Ilaria Sand, Ooh. as well as Tyene Sand, which is a horrible, horrible way to go. We'll never see that woman again, and now we just have in our imaginations what she's enduring. That's brutal. Uh, but I do think at the same time, Cersei has been calculated in some ways. You know, she is um, she's navigating things with the Iron Bank right now. You know, she has her whole like Westeros first speech to like the Tarleys and everybody who's assembled in the Red Keep. Uh, And I think that there is that measure of control that she's at least publicly presenting. And I think the moment that she like mercilessly hangs Lady Olena and flays her in public in King's Landing. Like that's not like Ned Stark's head on a spike. That's like, everyone's going to like get psyched about in the South because everyone in, in King's Landing loves severed heads and they don't care whose head it right. is. She's I too respected they, a figure. You're saying, yeah, okay. I think that they would care about that. I think like to completely brutalize the queen of thorns would, would be a really, really bad look uh, at a time when Cersei needs to engender some public favor. And I do think that for Cersei, I think that the satisfaction might just come out of this uh, well-executed blind side of Tyrion. I think that that might be where she is going to be uh, getting really pumped up from this as opposed to the murder of Lady Elena. Oh, yeah. And she's also, you know, already fantasizing about all the terrible things she's going to do to Tyrion when she gets her chance. So, uh, you know, she can she can like let Lady Elena have a pass. She's going to have other outlets to to take this all out on. Okay, you want to stick on the topic of death? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Abe Simpson just popped into my room. Uh, all right. This is from Justin Holcomb, yes. uh, who wants to talk about death for a different character, somebody who has actually been through death and survived it. Jon Snow's death was a topic of conversation on Game of Thrones this week. So this is Justin wanting to know a little bit more about that. Justin writes in, does John want to keep the information that he's come back from the dead because it's hard to ask someone to fight the undead when you are undead? Would he have to explain why and how he died before being brought back to life? And would that paint him in a negative light? So what do you think about this, Rob? Obviously in the scene between John and Daenerys, 
Davos starts to bring up the fact that John died for this cause. He took a knife to the heart and John's like, yo, 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 chill, chill, chill. Don't say that. Don't say that. We don't want to, we don't want to go there. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Does he just, just like not want to humble brag? Is that part of it? Is there some shame, shame, shame involved in the whole I died and came back to life thing? Why do you think John wants to sit on this secret? No, I think it's unclear exactly why. I think maybe it's something that John is not clearly comfortable talking about. I think that might be part of John's character in terms of being conflicted about who he is, if he is that prince who was promised. Because you know if Daenerys ended up coming back to life, that, that would be part of her titles. Like uh, Daenerys, the, the queen who comes back to life, the woman who conquered the undead. She would have right. that on her resume, and and that would be a big part of who she is. But I think that John still has that Stark mentality of sort of like downplaying things that are potentially on his resume. He's not here for the credit, right? Like he's here to to just get the job done. He just wants to he wants to slay the undead and be done with it, and then maybe like retire to some I don't know some cabin in the woods somewhere where he could just brood all day and look really good while doing it. Yeah. He doesn't want to be the breaker of chains. He doesn't want to be the breaker of the dead. He just wants to be Jon Snow, be done with this, and move on. I also think that just to trivialize uh, what Jon Snow went through and and bring it back to myself, when I'm in a conversation <laughs> with somebody who's a new person, and th- th- I will never tell somebody that i uh, was on a reality show i won't ever uh bring that up because then it then it starts then like whatever you were talking about then there's like a, a bunch of really like you know off topic questions about that subject whereas maybe for john like he's there to talk about the knights king and he's there to talk about dragon glass and then once he brings up the fact that oh yeah and i died and i came back to life whoa 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 hey hold on so what so what was that like like no 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 we're here to talk about this yeah, I think I think eventually, like John's going to have to have that conversation with somebody. Eventually, and I think it'll is, come up, but did, organically is yeah. better. Trust me. Yeah. I, I, oh, sure, of course, absolutely. I totally agree with you. It just hasn't come up yet, and I, I kind of appreciated the fact that the show at least mentioned it uh, and like didn't completely forget it because there are times when it feels like. Why did Jon Snow have to die again? Like, there are just some times where it feels like it's just adding to kind of like the mythology around this guy and the legend of Jon Snow. But is there a point to the fact that he died? Is there is there something more there? Um, and if the show is just never bringing it up, like, did it just have to happen because... It happened in the book, and so the show had to adapt it, and they don't really know what the fallout of that is going to be in the book, so we're just kind of moving on now? Or is there some sort of point and purpose to it? And I think the fact that it was even brought up in this episode, and the fact that Daenerys brings it up again, and clearly it's a curiosity that's sticking in her mind, suggests that it's going to be more important later on. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, more secrets about Jon Snow. This is from Eric Slabby, who wants to who wants to know about this. There were quite a few mentions of Jon not being a Stark in this episode. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you think everyone's going to react once they find out who his parents are? So, Rob, we know the truth about Jon Snow. We saw that Jon Snow is not Ned Stark's son in the season six finale, and he is instead Lyanna Stark's son and the strong implication. And it's been teased in HBO promotional materials is that Jon Snow is the son of Rhaegar Targaryen. That hasn't been made explicit on the show. We got into it a little bit on the deep dive of is the show ever actually going to make it explicit? Let's put that aside for now and say the show will one day make it explicit. 
how's everyone going to react? What's going to whose whose reaction are you the most curious for? Uh, for when they find out that John is secretly a Targaryen. Well, if we're going to do power rankings of reactions to the news, uh, I mean, are we taking Jon Snow himself off the board? Yeah, because he's probably just going to be like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. I had no idea. Yeah. Do you like that the show is calling out how stoic he is uh, repeatedly in dialogue? I thought that was fun. I really liked that. I like that Tyrion's like, you're a much better brooder than I am. Yeah. So I would say Daenerys reaction, uh, that's number one, because uh, she could have the happy reaction or she could be kind of pissed about this because then there is now a challenger to her claim of being the number one uh, in line for that Targaryen spot on top of the Iron Throne. So I think that that's a big reaction to find out. And I think that Sansa is certainly number two on the list in terms of that she's been the character that's been closest to John in terms of uh, being in the North and everything going on at Winterfell. And then in, in terms of people that are, you know, in John's inner circle, like a Davos or like a Samuel Tarly, I, I don't think that those guys are going to ultimately care one way or the other. Am I missing something? I think Sam's going to be excited. He's like, oh, my God. You're a Targaryen. I've missed Maester Aemon so much, and now I can talk to you. Yeah. Uh, so I think he'll be pumped, and I think Davos is going to be like, oh, man, like, I really did back the right horse here. I'm feeling really good about yeah. this. Like, this is this is a good guy to be on the same side as. I think people are going to be excited. The people in John's, in John's camp, I think, are going to be pretty stoked about it. I think that the people who are firmly in Daenerys' camp are going to be... That'll be an interesting reaction to watch, and I do think that Sansa... Is she going to be like, yeah, well, now you shouldn't be the guy in charge of Winterfell and maybe it should be me. And Littlefinger uh, is a big person to watch there on that front. Little person. Yeah, I think he's going to be excited about that as well. So we'll see. I, I do think that eventually the show has to give it to us. But I but I think that it's not completely out of character for Game of Thrones to like find some way to just like have this be the audience's information and no one else ever finds out. It'd be frustrating, but who knows? At least right now they're they're playing it out like you're not going to hear the words, Jon Snow, you're a Targaryen until like the final episode of this season at earliest, I feel like. Yeah, probably because uh, Jon's still not even back at Winterfell. And so uh, I, I feel like them we need to get john to the knight's king and i feel like that he's gonna have that you know interaction with brand somewhere along the way like i could see it maybe like episode six i mean brand's reaction to the news has been pretty underwhelming so far right <laughs> yeah brand is uh nonplussed by everything at this point all right he's well seen it all. Uh, let's talk about some pluses in the corner of cersei lannister who had a very big week this week a lot of victories for cersei but She's getting a little too cute. She's getting a little too arrogant. This is the question that Edwin Jon Snow wants to wants to know. This is a voicemail from Edwin Jon Snow. So Cersei just threw a challenge, and it seems to have worked for now. But is she getting too cocky? Was the door opening scene her saying that she's basically a badass and a manipulator of this Game of Thrones? All right, so what do you think about that, Rob? Obviously, Edwin is referring to the scene in which Cersei like gives no Fs having given at least one or two probably uh, in the morning after her nice night with Jamie yes, Lannister yes. and her, her handmaiden shows up and she just flings the door open, gives no cares. Uh, she's scored a huge victory against Daenerys by destroying the fleet via Euron. And now she has basically killed the sand snakes and she's about to conquer Casterly Rock and Highgarden. But is she getting 
a little too big for her britches. And is that the point of the scene in which she throws the door open and just like does not even care that this person is is seeing what she's seeing. I mean, I really don't think that it's being depicted that way. We're not getting sort of like a snide look from anybody. Or are you seeing some sort of a loser edit right now for Cersei based on how cocky she's getting? Oh, I mean, of course, right? I mean, she, this is definitely, you know, pride comes before the fall. That is just, you know, that's that's classic. That's very classic. And certainly we're not walking away from Game of Thrones with Cersei Lannister still in a position of power. I do think that this first part uh, of the season, at least, if not the whole season, we're seeing a rise for Cersei so that the fall can be uh, that much steeper. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although falls with Lannisters. We don't really want to talk right. about that too But she's soon. still on uh, the climb, right? I mean, I, I don't she's see... She's on the climb. You know, it's not like where, you know, we have seen like in the past where a character like Rob Stark is like doing stuff and, and getting second guessed left and right and then we can say like, oh, you probably should have listened to those guys. That Cersei is doing, is making moves and people are like, wow, you are your father's daughter. Like people are like impressed yeah. with the moves she's making. Yeah, right now it seems to be. I mean, like, I'm impressed with the moves that Cersei's making. She's outfoxing Tyrion, and I'm sure Tyrion is going to, that's going to be a real blow to the ego for that guy because mm-hmm. he does not think Cersei's that smart, and she is actually proving herself to be quite cunning. Uh, so yeah, I think that, I think that people are impressed with Cersei. I'm certainly impressed with the fact that she's held on as long as she has. Uh, some of it's a little bit cute in the writing, but I also think that there is a quality of like just Cersei Unchained is a, is a, is a crazy character to behold, and you don't want to underestimate her um the handmaiden by the way i thought that this was great and i hadn't picked up on this at all uh the great joanna robinson of vanity fair and of uh, many other game of thrones podcasts has a really fun article about who that person was the person who comes to cersei's Mm -hmm. door she's been on the show since effectively the very beginning this is a character named bernadette apparently who is played by irish actress sarah dillon according to joanna robinson and she has a really fun article chronicling all of her many appearances on Game of Thrones to date. Uh, so I recommend looking that up. I thought that this, this was, yeah, this was really read fun. That. Yeah. Yeah, this this person is effectively Cersei's like longest confidant. <laughs> you know, like this is the person who's been with Cersei since the very beginning. So she's not going to go off and tell anybody about uh, what Cersei's doing with Jamie. She's probably she's probably feeling it honestly. Yeah, and I like that she has consistently copied Cersei's look. She really is yes. the Steve to Cersei's Kenny Powers, and she's like, oh, whatever <laughs> Cersei's doing, she's my coolest friend. I'm going to do exactly what she is doing, so I can fit in. Cersei Janowski. Uh, well, speaking speaking of Stevie, we've got a voicemail from Steve uh, to to ask some questions about Euron and some timing issues and just general geography about Westeros. Hey, Robin, Josh. Uh, my name's Steve. I'm from Queens, New York, and I just want to uh, ask what you think about the show's handling of Westerosi geography. In order to get from Dragonstone to Casterly Rock, you essentially have to go all the way down and around Dorne, um, presumably Grey Worm, as well as uh, the Greyjoy fleet left at the same time, going the same direction, but one actually made it all the way to Casterly Rock, while the other was uh, taken down by Euron Greyjoy. Um, And then Euron Greyjoy is suddenly, right after being in King's Landing, at Casterly Rock. Um, Maybe other people... Most people don't care about that, but I'm wondering, it feels like they're playing a little fast and loose with time and geography. Um, I understand they're running out of time in general with the show. Um, Is there any sort of justification for the strange 
uh, discrepancies that we're seeing here. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard this uh, quite a bit, especially as we are here in season seven about people moving around the board very quickly. Other people, it takes them a very long time to get from one place to the next. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is definitely a faster season in that regard of like characters getting to where they're, you know, aiming to be, which would have normally in the past, like taken a full season to travel from Winterfell to Dragonstone, for example, or from Dragonstone to Casterly Rock is kind of a trip. You know, it's not not an easy uh an it's a easy schlep. commute yeah. it's a schlep it's a schlep there is definitely a little bit of travel by map going on this season and i think that the justification actually steve is what you laid out there's not a lot of time left on the show the show is ending in you know just a handful of episodes the season is really almost over and the whole thing is almost over and i think that they're just trying to get things moving in that regard and hoping that nobody notices probably and that nobody stops down and thinks about it too hard i'm fairly easy to please when it comes to that stuff i feel like anyway you know i'm sure uh you know anyone who remembered uh the strain podcast stragoy mm-hmm. uh will remember how upset i would get with canadian new york but i'm not that upset with canadian westeros for whatever reason maybe it's because i'm not actually from westeros that i don't really mind does it bother you i know that you tend to be a little bit more of a, right. of a get get caught up in the details kind of guy than i am rob no, I think it's fine. I, I really I'm not sitting here like, hey, I want to see Grey Worm on a five episode ride to go to Casterly Rock. He got there too quick. I mean, I feel like if anything on Game of Thrones, we're saying like, all right, could they just get there already? I mean, nobody was complaining like, boy, uh, I wish Danny would just get through this Dothraki Sea. Uh, not so quick. I mean, she's really zooming across this place. Hey, let's stop and smell the roses a little bit. I mean, if you want right. a show with hyper realistic traveling i mean you can go back and watch moonlighting but here we are uh, <laughs> right at the cutting edge of game of thrones right uh, <laughs> wow that's uh that's right over everybody's heads at this point not everybody's oh probably God. yeah Oh my God! Smell that sweet cheddar. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I I think so. I look. I do think that there is a valid criticism of are th- do, do things have to move this fast? Does Game of Thrones only have to be ten more episodes, or could you take your time a little bit more and make this a little bit more realistic? Uh, David Benioff and Dan Weiss they want to finish this thing up. They want to wash their hands of Westeros. They want to apparently get their hands in <laughs> other territory that's going to keep them heavily heavily occupied uh in uh in all sorts of controversy uh so i think um you know i I think that that's the thing is they just want to get out of this thing they want to wrap up the story and i think that they're hoping that you know people will just be more excited about the faster pace of the storytelling than the fact that things are kind of moving around a little bit loosey-goosey in uh in the in the geographical regard uh doesn't bother me too much There are like a few narrative shortcuts probably that maybe do stick under my craw. Like there are maybe a few narrative shortcuts that do like kind of get under my skin just a little bit. Uh, But we have to see how some of that stuff bears out a little bit while longer before I get like too mad about it. But I do think that that's like kind of some of the concern of the momentum is just like yara yaring through like a couple of like logical decisions just like to get to the next place in the story, like making Tyrion not good strategically just because Cersei needs to to have a little bit more of an edge. Like that's the kind of stuff that like I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that yet. But the, the geography thing doesn't really bother me 
mean that much. Josh, before we get into our uh, next question, let me take a moment and mention one of our sponsors, canvaspeople.com. Look, if you are like Cersei Lannister, you want to be surrounded by uh, big maps of Westeros that you can uh, walk at or look at on the wall. There's all sorts of different ways that you could be uh, decorating the Red Keep. I'm sure she has a lot of thoughts. Just like at your house with Summer here, you want to have all these pictures you've taken this summer, I'm sure. You want to find a way to put them a place where you could look at them constantly and not just have them on Instagram, right? Yeah, I think that sounds that sounds lovely. You've, you know, physical materials are, uh, are undervalued these days. We're all online. We're all digital. Let's hang some pictures up around our houses, please. I'm sure Sir Jorah probably wants to have a picture up at the Citadel of like, uh, here's a person that we fixed up that they had grayscale. This was a before picture. This is an after picture. So he's going to be looking good, right? He's going to be looking great in that after picture. That before picture, not so much. Not so great. That's what canvas people uh, can do. You can be hanging up some beautiful artwork in your house based on photos that you've taken with your phone or your camera. And canvas people's got a great offer for you to try out. They've got special $0 pricing for you to use canvaspeople.com. Just use our promo code POST, P-O-S-T, on canvaspeople.com. You can get an 11 by 14 canvas photo for $0. You just pay the shipping. It's less than $20 altogether for you to give it a try because they know, just like the uh, the grayscale operation, it's going to work out for you so well. You'll be... Oh, uh, smooth. Yes, yes. <laughs> you'll be so happy. You'll be, you'll be so happy. You'll say, why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah, you'll be like, well, that's it. That's all. That's all it took. It's just, that's all. That's all I needed to do. That's it. That's it. Canvaspeople.com. One million satisfied customers. So to get this special offer, go to canvaspeople.com. Upload your photo. Select the eleven by fourteen size and enter promo code post in the promo code box in the card to get that special zero dollars pricing. That's at canvaspeople.com. Promo code post. All right. Well, let's. You did bring up Jorah Mormont. So why don't we? Uh, why don't we take a question about Sir Jorah? This is from Jack May, who has some questions about Jorah's plans now that his grayscale is cured. Jack writes in, now that his grayscale is cured, what's Jorah's story going to be moving forward? Are we going to see him link back up with Danny and take over the military strategy, considering all of the miscalculations that Tyrion has been making? What do you think? Is Jorah going to come back in and is this going to be how Daenerys gets her groove back, Rob? Is Tyrion going to get fired and Jorah is going to become the new Hand of the Queen? It's interesting because that Sir Jorah is not really that guy. If anything, Sir Barristan would have been that guy. And I know in the books he's still alive, that it seems like that that would be a reason why you'd want to still have him around, that he could be, uh, you know, really make himself valuable to Daenerys. Sure. Is Jorah that sure. guy, though? I mean, Jorah is a, is a militarily-minded guy, I think. I He's think that a he knight. Is more, yeah, I don't know if he is that guy. I do think that that is more barrist in the bold's territory. And you're right, he is still alive in the books, but probably for, like, five more pages. I mm-hmm. think that there's going to be, like, you know, three more chapters that include barrist before he goes, unfortunately. Uh, but I think that Jorah has always been, like, Danny's rock. Like, I think that, you know, now he's not because he's got grayscale cured. Uh, but I think that he's always been, like, the sturdy 
sturdy person that she can lean on uh, and would always be like unfailing in his allegiance to her. Once he made the decision, of course, to stop spying on her, once he decided like I'm all in on Daenerys Targaryen, he's always been in. So I think that he's going to be somebody who is uh, a voice of reason, uh, a voice of support, somebody who knows her even better than Tyrion does. But I don't think that Jorah knows Westeros as well as Tyrion does. So I don't know that he's going to be the right person to be in charge of operations here. I think he's going to be an asset for sure. I just don't think that he's going to be the guy who comes in and is immediately um, uh, Daenerys's right-hand person once again. Though that would be an awkward uh, subversion of the last power dynamic we saw between Jorah and Tyrion when Tyrion was making sure that Jorah would survive but had to be exiled. Uh, so if Jorah comes back from exile and Daenerys is upset with Tyrion for like, really bungling things like are we going to see like an opposite scene where like now Jorah has the choice of like what should we do with Tyrion uh, that's interesting to have him be sort of like uh, what do you think Khaleesi uh, should we keep him should we let him go what do yeah. you think uh, that would yeah. be great if he could get back into her good graces like that but I would like those characters to be on the same page I like that bromance uh, speaking of Tyrion Steve Clemetti had written in uh, and was curious about Tyrion's motives wrote in and said whose side is Tyrion on he's about as effective as Brienne, she failed Renly, Catelyn, failed to take Jamie to King's Landing and trade for the girls, failed to get Arya and originally failed Sansa and failed to get the Blackfish to help. Tyrion has failed in his deal with the slavers in Marine. He directed Danny to leave Dario in Marine. Dario was her bodyguard and better at strategy. He failed with Alaria and the Greyjoys and now with Casterly Rock. Uh, are we supposed to assume that like Tyrion is just ineffectual or is he like is he playing for another side? No. I can't imagine that's the case. That would be ridiculous. This is a real long con if Tyrion is up to something else. I wonder, Josh, though, when Tyrion was at his most effective, that was at the time where he had Shay on the side. Does Tyrion need a romantic interest to sort of get his head back in the game? Oh, Interesting. That's a good question, and we actually had really good feedback in that regard from Jane Warlick, who wrote in and said, Hello, Robin Josh. In the last two episodes, it was pointed out that Tyrion and Sansa were married, and they each spoke well of the other. Why remind us of this? My hot take? Because they will remarry to solidify the eventual North Danny alliance. Sansa has learned the Game of Thrones and knows she will eventually need a lord husband worthy of the Stark house. Tyrion is a good choice for both diplomatic reasons, and he was good to her. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Is it fan fiction? What do you think? Is this fan fiction from Jane, or do you think that Jane is onto something? Do you think that Game of Thrones is setting up a rekindling of the Tyrion and Sansa relationship? I wouldn't be mad at it, but I don't know if that's where we're going. I mean, I feel like that there was a lot of talk at the time that he was going to be married to Sansa back in season three. I think there was a lot of hand wringing about you know how young she is, and yeah. he didn't really seem like that he was was eager to explore that but now i mean she has grown up a lot over the last couple of years but i still don't think that's where the show is going do you think that's a possibility i could see it as an end game possibility yeah i think it's actually a pretty good call uh i think that you can you can imagine like this horrible 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 friction between the starks and the lannisters all series long you know that's the inciting incident is the lannister twins pushing a stark child out of a window and then the lannisters beheading the head of house stark and everything with the red wedding and all of the abuse that sansa endured but we also have seen like 
a couple of good Lannisters, or at least Lannisters who are more good than bad. Like Tyrion is definitely more good than bad. Uh, I would say Jamie skews more good than bad by a little bit. And we certainly love Ed Sheeran. You know, like that guy was great. Like that guy was really, really good. A hero. So I think if there's, you know, if, if the, if like the old, like if the, if you're, if you're looking at this through like, you know, rose tinted glasses, not Roz tinted glasses, yeah. and you're, you know, kind of forecasting the tinted end of, glasses for Santa. Right. Yeah. And if you're if you're looking towards the end of Game of Thrones and you want to imagine like the sweet aspects of the bittersweet ending that has been promised for Game of Thrones, uh, what about a, a joining of the Lannisters and the Starks? Like getting past their BS, like getting past all of the horrible things that have happened before. And that was even a theme in this episode of like, don't judge me by the sins of my father. Like, don't judge me by the sins of people in my family who did awful, awful things. I'm not them. Could we see eventually some sort of joining of the Starks and Lannisters? And could that not be like the greatest possible symbol of like we can get over all of our pettiness. We can get over all of our you know justifiable grievances. And if we get past that stuff, we can rebuild the world and we can move on and things can be good. I can imagine that idea being embodied by Tyrion and Sansa getting together at the very end of the show. I wouldn't imagine it would happen anytime soon. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if Tyrion and Sansa do end up together. And if we start to see the Stark and Targaryen sides uh, intermingling more and seeing more scenes between uh, the people who are at Winterfell and the people who are at Dragonstone right now. And if you start to see a bunch of Tyrion and Sansa scenes again on the show, I think that that's going to be that's going to start fueling those fires even more. Uh, So something to watch out for. I think it's a pretty good take. I would not be upset with it. Yeah, I, th- I think there's potential for it for like a for like an end game, end game, end game thing. I don't think that we need to to rush into that territory. Yeah, uh, well, that let's, does do a little about- happy ending for me, and I, and I, I like I feel like that we are like a, we're making a lot of presumptions on happy ending. Well, Happy-ish I think it's, it, it's happy-ish. You know, I think it's not exactly what Sansa would would prefer in you know her in her perfect world i don't think it would be something that she would be like super pumped about i don't imagine that it would be like a head over heels star-crossed lovers kind of thing i think it would be good for diplomacy and i think it would be good symbolically of like all right let's you know let's put all of this aside and do something good for the realm type of thing and it's also not factoring in you know the very likely possibility that 90% 90% of the people we love on this show would be dead at that point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, if that's like the, the silver lining of he what might is be otherwise the only guy more, left. You know, that's what I'm saying. So, like, I don't think that we're necessarily going into, like, too cutesy, happy ending t- uh, type of territory with something like that. I think it could be, you know, one of the the more optimistic notes in what could otherwise be a pretty uh, pretty dark timeline. Um, let's move on to another Stark sister. Let's take this question from Jack May about Arya, who seems to be returning to Winterfell soon. Jack writes in, If Arya does return to Winterfell soon, how do you see the reunion with Sansa going? They were never the closest, but they have both grown so much, and I think that they could actually really help each other. Sansa could rule, and Arya could use her skills to take out their enemies covertly. So how are you forecasting this, Rob? We're heading into this next episode of Game of Thrones here pretty soon, and it does look like Arya is almost back at Winterfell, and I think that she's probably going to be back in this episode. How's that going to play out? Awkward family reunion between Sansa and Bran. 
How is the Arya family reunion going to go? How is she going to be received by both Sansa and Bran? No, I think it's going to be great. I think that Arya is somebody who is going to maybe have a more similar worldview to Sansa. You know, maybe like if anything, John is a little too passive for Sansa's taste in terms of how he's handling things. Arya is the one that's going to be like, come on, let's get out there. Let's kill everybody. She might be more aggressive. Sansa ends up being like the Goldilocks in this situation uh, between uh, the two siblings on either side of her. But I feel like that all of the feuding between Arya and Sansa was based on Sansa being like, uh, like, Arya, you're such a tomboy. Like, come in here and work on this needleprint with me. She's like, no, screw you. I need to go out and practice my archery. Like, oh, you're so annoying. But I feel like that they're going to be very much on the same page at this point, right? I think so. Um, but, but it's kind of, it's kind of interesting where you have like these two, uh, hot and cold personalities surrounding Sansa now, where you've got Arya who is so vengeful, very revengeful, and she wants to take out all the people on her path. And then you've got Bran who is just mellow. You know, he is like, I don't know what he got, uh, at the, in that tree cave. I don't know what he brought back with him, but he's real, he's really chilled out. Well, he just came back from uh, the three eyed rave. (laughs) <laughs> he's, yes, yeah so <laughs> so he's all over the place yeah. yeah he's all over the place so he's uh you know he's been in the reeds for sure uh and he's just very very calm so i think that sansa's got like these two polar opposite personalities that she's going to be surrounded by and she's going to have little finger whispering in her ear there as well the the whole Winterfell storyline is about to get pretty cool with the arrival of Arya, I think. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, I hope that it's a, a warm welcome for, you know, between Arya and Sansa. Uh, I know that they've had their differences, but it would be really sad if they were just like immediately at each other's throats again. I don't think that there is any beef between them that's big enough that's going to prevent them from being back on the same page at this point after everything that's happened to them. It was just they didn't have like this major fallout or anything. They just like uh, were kids and didn't get along. But I think that, you know, after they've both seen so much of the world and had all these horrible things happen, I think that they're going to really appreciate each other's company. I hope so. I certainly hope so. I think so. Josh, this Sunday night is officially the halfway point of Game of Thrones uh, Season 7. Uh, do you have like a uh, a first half letter grade for the season? First half letter grade for the season. It's Game of Thrones. It's really good. I, I would give it, you know, the, the standard like A, A minus range of, of the first uh, for this first half of Game of Thrones. I think that there are, you know, potentially some illogical plot lines that are going on here. We have to see how a lot of that resolves in the second half of the season. But, you know, just the sight of Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen in the same scene together, like, is an immediate A. Uh, the big battle sequence at the end of episode two, that was so, so awesome. The first scene of the whole season is really still an all-timer for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm definitely happy with this thing, but I don't know. I'm easy to please, Rob. How about you? What's the letter grade you would give? Yeah, I think it's got to be an A. We're really moving at a very fast pace, and I can't imagine that we're going to be slowing down at any point in the next four episodes. And I think that probably uh, a lot of action to play out here in the rest of Season 7. I know that we have some super-sized episodes that are going to be coming up along the way. So I think that the show has been really firing on all cylinders, and I think it's only going to uh, get bigger from here. 
Well, I'm looking forward to your Sunday night podcast. I'm looking forward to talking to you on the deep dive next week. I won't be on the feedback show next week. I will be abroad. Uh, I believe the guest is TBD on that front as it stands, but going to be a lot of podcasting going on. All right. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. We always appreciate your feedback and your star ratings. And if you're so inclined, check out our Game of Thrones heroes versus healers versus hustlers over on robhasawebsite.com a very fun and silly uh, survivor season based on Game of Thrones characters oh it was great that was great fun okay. that, was, that was like the highlight of my week for sure okay follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter he's at Round Howard I'm at Rob Sister Josh anything else no nothing else looking forward to episode 4 alright take care everybody have a good one bye bye